You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 25th, 2020, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12, and Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. Good morning again. This morning I'd like to have a word with you about the promised land. Uh, As many of you know, I'm a great fan of Bruce Springsteen, and my favorite album is his fourth album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, and one of the tracks on that album is called Promised Land. And I love that song, Promised Land. When I was in college, I'd put that album on the turntable, pick up the needle, and I would just crank up the volume, and I could do this over and over and over, and I would sit there and I'd say, Mr. I ain't a boy, no, I'm a man and I believe in the promised land. I mean, I would do that over and over. I did it for years and years. In fact, I still do it sometimes. I just love that song, and I love that chorus line. So my question for you is, do you have a promised land that you believe in and that you're so fired up about you can't just wait to get up and just kind of rock it out here? Now, All of this talk today about the Promised Land comes to us via Moses. You remember from the first reading here this morning that we have the reading from the book of Deuteronomy where Moses goes up on Mount Nebo to look over the incredible Promised Land. Remember, the first time I saw the Promised Land, the first time I went up on Mount Nebo, it was 2010, and I was on an interfaith pilgrimage was the first time I had been to the Holy Land, and we were moving northward up into the Galilee where we spent a few days. And just as the trip was coming to an end, I left the group, and I took a cab from the hotel in the Galilee across and to the bridge. Now, there are three bridges to cross over from the state of Israel into the state of Jordan, and the top bridge, the northernmost bridge, is, is not much used. And the bus dropped me off, and I had no idea. There was no instructions, and I I kind of walked along to this cinder block building, and I went in, and I I gave them my papers, and ka-chunk, 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 I got my papers stamped, and and that was it. Nobody was telling me what to do or, or where to go, and I had a vague idea where I was and little idea about where I was headed. So I walked out, and in this kind of dusty parking lot, there was a cab and a bunch of cab guys. And I said, I'd like to go to King's Academy in Madaba. And the driver took his cigarette and he flicked it off and sort of nodded toward the cab. And I got in the back of this kind of look beaten up old car and he put his blinker on and I don't know if he put his blinker on, but he went out and he took a right and boom, off we went. We sped along this two-lane road. We were really following the Jordan River south and it was a, a dusty road and there were, there were clumps of of trees and and then there were clumps of buildings and I felt that everything was kind of close to the road and and I remember as preschool got out and the kids were playing along the edge of the road and I remember being worried about them the windows were down the Arabic music was playing through this very cheap speaker and I was just gaga looking at this world I had never seen before and then all of a sudden, the car, boom, takes a left. And not only does it take a left, but it, it takes an upward. We go, we go left and straight up. No conversation. 
and, and the cab driver stomps on the, stomps on the pedal. Mm, the car roars, and it almost seems as though it's clawing its way vertically up and up and up. And I'm staring out the window at this, this vertical brown stone desert. Oh, it was like nothing I had ever seen before. I remember thinking, I wonder if this is what it's like to be on the moon. And I also had this quick little thought of a little kid playing with a matchbox and there being a tablecloth draped over a brown tablecloth and the, taking the car and just riding it up the tablecloth until you came to the top of the table. Well, we sped upward and upward and the car clawed its way up and I stared out agog. And then the driver said, the only thing to me that he said during the whole hour and 20 minute trip. He looked over his shoulder and he said, Mount Nebo, Moses. And I gawked at this precipice that hung out over the edge of this, this brown precipice. And then I thought, holy smokes, Moses had a great view. And I turned around for the first time and I looked out the back window and there it was, the Holy Land. Awesome awe-inspiring. Now, during the, the next decade, I returned to Mount Nebo, I think, three times. And every time I went, I had the exact same thought, which was, <laughs> the view was biblical. The view was awe-inspiring. So, my question for you, do you have a promised land that is biblical? Do you have a promised land that is awe-inspiring? And do you have a, a promised land that you sense that your journey is bringing you toward, right? Now, I know that many of you will say, yep, I got it, check, 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 yep, I got that. But I also know that so many people suffer from PLDD, right? Promised land deficit disorder. They don't, they don't, they don't have any vision for the ultimate ends of their life, about where their life is headed and what they're to do with their lives. Now, Certainly our promised land cannot be a kind of grocery list of achievements like, well, I had a really good job at one point, or it can't be a, it can't be a bucket list of experiences like I've been to every continent and I've seen Hamilton, and, and it, just, it just can't be just a fulfillment of things that, of our needs. I mean, Bernard of Clairvaux with a great mystic of the 1100s even wrote, uh, which I love, the satisfaction of our needs will not bring us happiness, right? There's got to be, there's got to be something bigger, a greater horizon for the, just the, the kind of stuff of life. So, most religious traditions believe that our ultimate promised land is the union and communion of our soul with God. problem with that is that's not too inspiring for a lot of people, right? And when we have, a, we have this anemic view of God, God is boring. Who wants that to be the ultimate end of our lives, right? You know, we have, a, we have a theological deficit. We have a theological problem. We've never been to the spiritual Mount Nebo. We've never been to that place where we could look upon the being of God, where we could see the promised land, where we could be stricken by awe. No, but just because we haven't all been doesn't mean others haven't been. 
the mystics of the church and the mystics of our great traditions, they're the ones who've been to that spiritual Mount Nebo and looked down upon and, and seen the promised land of the being of God. They've experienced the awesomeness of it, right? And in experiencing the awesomeness of it, they have led awesome lives, right? There's anything about their lives, uh, it, it's just not boring, right? It's, it's, it's awe-stricken by, by what the destination is. And what do they all say the destination is? That promised land, that destination is divine love and it is divine light. The first letter of John says that God is love. And the mystics will tell us that that love actually has warmth. And some of them speak about that, that love burning within them in a way that it is both incredibly fulfilling and totally uh, unsatiable. They, they can't, they don't know what to do with it. And the mystics also talk about God as light. Right? Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And since I'm talking about Bernard de Clairvaux today, since I picked him out of all the mystics to really use here this morning, Bernard says this, and I want you to listen to this. We will be wholly immersed in that sea of eternal light and bright eternity. Let me give that to you again here. This is your ultimate end, your promised land. We will be wholly immersed in that sea of eternal light and bright eternity. So not only the great mystics talk about God as love and God as light, but also, oddly enough, in so many ways, or perhaps not oddly enough, do those who have had so-called near-death experiences. Back in, I think, the 60s, a guy named uh, Dr. Moody wrote a book entitled Life After Life, in which he interviewed 100 people who had been pronounced dead. And he writes in this book that the descriptions and the experiences of these 100 people are so similar and so vivid and so overwhelmingly positive that it not only changed their view of death, but it changed their view of life. And absolutely fascinatingly, he says this, that the most common thing in all of the accounts, and the thing that had the most profound effect on this 100 group of people, was an encounter that they all had with a very bright light of unearthly brilliance. The light was nothing like any light that we see. We have incandescent light, right? Not so for the unearthly brilliance of the light that these people are talking about. And it says that not one person, not one person expressed any doubt whatsoever that it was a being. It was a being of light. The light was alive. None of our light here on earth is alive in that way. And not only was the being alive, that it was personal and that it had personality, right? That which we talk about, the personhood, that this light was alive with personhood. And not only that, but the love and the warmth which emanated from this light toward the dying person was utterly beyond words, utterly beyond the ability to describe. But people did say they felt completely surrounded by the light. They felt taken up in the light. They felt completely at ease in the light. And they felt fully accepted 
in that light. And they all said the same thing, that uh, there was an irresistible magnetic attraction of the soul toward this light. It simply could not be it simply could not be resisted, and nor would one desire to be resisted. In fact, to be drawn toward it was a source of ecstasy. One person said, uh, it was the light of perfect understanding and perfect love, right? They felt as though they were surrounded by this overwhelming light and compassion. And another said, I felt really good. I felt, I felt loved and I felt secure. Uh, and the love that I felt was unimaginable, right? Indescribable. And it was fun. I love that. We don't get enough of that, right? And another person said, you know, I didn't see a person in the light, but to me it was Christ consciousness, the oneness of all things, a perfect love. And this person went on to say, I think Jesus literally meant it when he said, I am the light of the world. The promised land. But not only the promised land, but the path, right? We are to, to journey in love to love. So how do we know that? Well, we get it right from the reading today, and it comes to us uh, in the conversation that Jesus is having there with the Pharisees, right? When he talks about, when he's talking with the lawyer, and we get the summary of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with your, all your soul. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. So the whole Mosaic law, all of that pathway to God summarized in these two, these two commandments, right? one taken from Deuteronomy, one taken from Levit Leviticus, and in Jesus brought together to summarize the whole code, the whole path of the law, the whole way forward. Now we see not only that as the guide, I mean, there it is, but we see that with our incredible presiding bishop, Bishop Michael Curry, in this book that is coming out, if not this week, next week, The Way of Love. We see this when we put together compilations of different mystical traditions, and they go to summarize different religions' approach to God. And over and over and over in Christianity, we see love in action. We see this with the spiritual advice that we get from the mystics, which is always something like, do whatever it is that makes you more loving. This is, this is the spiritual advice. But not only do we get that advice, we, we get that we journey in love and to love, but our journey is not static. So just as, uh, you know, we go on spiritual journeys and Moses wandered through the wilderness, we grow in our love. We see that in its, laid out in its tradition with purgation, which is the time of purification, to illumination, the beginning of, of, of seeing the light, and to union, where we begin to live in the light. We see that with Bernard of Clairvaux, who talks about the four degrees of love. The first degree of love is that we love, uh, you know, when one loves oneself, uh, for one's own sake, right? This is, this is the, how we're born, right? We love ourselves for our own sake. And that uh, as we grow in love, we begin to love God for our own sake because we, we experience what God is doing for us. And, and as we grow in love, we begin to love God for God's own sake, right? We begin to understand the, the, <laughs> the lovableness of God just as we love other people for who they are. And then the fourth degree of love is we begin to love ourselves 
uh, for God's sake. We begin to experience the divine love for all beings, for all creation, and not only all beings and all creation, but for ourselves. Uh, and that is a transformative love. That's when we begin, in some sense, to love as God loves. Bernard talks about uh, just as when you take a, a drop of water and, and put it in wine, that water uh, immerses in the wine and looks like wine and tastes like wine. And when you, you, you take a piece of metal and put it in a fire, that metal holds its form, but the metal heats up and looks like the fire itself. And he talks about when light comes into air, it, it appears all full of light, but it's really still just air. And that's what happens at the higher degrees of love, where we become, in some sense, immersed in God, and God becomes immersed in our loving. This is when we see holiness in people, where in their loving, they're conveying divine love. Now, there is no doubt that all of this love includes the cross, right? There is sacrificial love. There's tough times. I mean, take a look at the life of Moses. I mean, he saw God face to face, but he also had so many challenging times. Remember the murmuring and the, uh, the golden calf and the being lost in the wilderness for all those 40 years. Well, that's kind of how it is for us. We have, we have great highs, but we also have the sacrificing in some love for some others. But it is that love that leads to the ultimate love, right? Not love always like, feels great, but it is, it's love. It's the real deal. And that's what it's it. It's all about love. That's it. It's all that. Love is the means and love is the ends, right? Love is our, our life's work. It's our path. It's our promised land. It's our destination. It's our consummation, right? It's our continued journey. At its best, when we come to the end of our lives, we can look back in our lives and see the path of love. And then we can look forward in our lives and see the path of love that is coming, right? Love is the only thing that matters. And you know how I know that? I know that like every other clergy person. I have been present, honored to be present at hundreds and hundreds of eulogies where people come before their community and talk about someone who has died. And I have concluded, as all clergy will conclude, there is only one theme that matters in any of those eulogies, and that is, how did that person love? They simply don't care if somebody was senior vice president, if somebody had an apartment. <laughs> they don't care. All they care about is love. So peace be with you on this beautiful day, and may God's love be immersed in your life. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.